Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 43 of the City SC Report. My name is Steve, and this is Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, how's it going? Hey, you know, back here again, getting ready for Christmas and the holidays. How about yourself? Yeah, it's uh, wrapping up the, the the first full year of of actual city stuff. That's this right. Is a, kind of a wild position I, to be in there. It's, it's kind of what we live for. So we're here, ladies and gentlemen. We have a special episode in store for you today. We're going to go over all the city news that has occurred so far this month. Everything from a couple trades, to players leaving, to new contracts, to the Champions Cup draw, to a very controversial Open Cup announcement, That's and anything of, else we can think of. Kind of a lot of stuff, given that we're in the off-season. It's Seriously. been a really busy few weeks. Yeah, not too bad. And to help us go through all of this and give his take on it all is our friend, Mr. Busy, Matt Baker. Welcome back, Matt. Hey, Steve. Hey, Joe. Glad to be hey. here. Thanks for asking me to come back on. And yeah, it's, it does seem like there's no true off season, right? Right. It's, it's, and we're so happy to have you here. It's been a while. Happy we could get you on. Before we start talking shop, give us a little breakdown on what you've been up to with our friends over at Flyover Footy. Oh, uh, well, you know, we've gone into off season mode ourselves, tried to stay somewhat regular on, uh, just the stream because we like to stream every Thursday night and release our pod on Fridays. Uh, the the radio spot with 550s kind of been hit or miss on uh, whether we give them something to air, so that's been kind of fun to to juggle that. It it has been more of a relaxing over there where it does feel like you know we're not doing previews, we're not doing reviews of matches, and so it's just kind of sit back and take in what's been happening. That's cool. That's great stuff. Um, you guys do a great job over there. Thank you. You're one of the best that I know of locally, um, to be honest. Uh, definitely kind of an inspiration to us. I always defer to Baker when trying to figure out what's going on. Seriously. He usually knows way faster than the rest of us. <laughs> I know whenever I'm in the mood to listen to anything city-related, uh, I turn to you guys when I can. That's not to put down any of the other uh, city-related podcasts. I just don't have time to listen to them all. There's something like what 17 or 18 different podcasts. Like yeah, we'd, we'd have to we'd have to ask our friend Chris Gebhardt for yes. STL soccer. He actually did tell us in Kansas City, but I, I forgot what he, he said. Yes, and they're getting more. I think there's been more just continuing yeah. to add. But no, it's it's my OCD. I, I have to blame on. <laughs> I, I feel like if if I hear something and I don't know everything about it, then I feel bad for having an opinion on it. Right, like I'm not one of those people who I can just throw out an opinion without. Oh come on, that's what the internet is for—for <laughs> <I know. laughs> ill-informed opinions. I know, and I always feel like if I if I do something like that, somebody's gonna come at me, and and the times that that's happened, I just feel so bad yeah. that my OCD carries me to be way more obsessive than I, I ever need to be. Well, again, I think you guys do a great job. I I, yep. I know you guys obviously. Your knowledge, your insight. And when I want to dive in, um, you're my go-to. So like I said, inspiration to us in a way. In my mind, we're more of a flyover footy light. Yeah, it's, a, it's a much more casual. <laughs> and maybe some people want that. I don't know. But um, anyway, glad, glad you could join us. Everybody needs a different pace than flyover. That is definitely not everybody's cup of tea and definitely not something people should mainline exclusively, I would say. <laughs> so uh, it'll be interesting to see what you have to say about some of these recent city news headlines. Yeah. But first, Matt, I want to ask you a couple questions about last season. 
just a few because I'm really curious to know um, since we didn't really get you on much with all your busy time. So first off, if you had to summarize the inaugural season in five words, Ooh. what would you say? I should have taken you up on your offer to <laughs> hear these questions ahead of time. Five words, like a five word sentence or just five just words? five words. It could be a sentence of five words. It could be five individual words. All right, let's go with successful, growth, learning, depth, and preparing. Okay. I think I think that tries to sum up um, the fact that it was successful speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. You know, seventeen wins, um, first place in the Western Conference, all of those things, like sixty plus goals, way more successful than anybody ever envisioned. Um, I'm not lo- letting the first round of the playoff exit cloud that at all at this point you know you look back at the season and you have to call it successful but also just how the season progressed the fact that we didn't lose more than two games in a row at any point in the regular season for mls play that's tremendous uh shows our ability to provide depth we grew in how we were able to win throughout the year after losing klaus leuven all those pieces that we just had to mix and match and then the fact that we're going into next season to the champions cup for hoping to build upon this. And I think we've prepared ourselves well in both the contracts. We still have the the success on the field for a lot of the players, the gelling that they had together, and the overall just experience in the system. Very good. Can't All argue right. with that. Yeah. Second question. Uh, what three city players impressed you the most? And Joe, I'd like to know your answer on that as well, but... After Matt gives his, what three city players impressed you the most? Okay, so I'm going to go with this from the perspective of in order to be impressed, somebody would have had to exceed my expectations. Yes. Uh, because you you can look to Berkey, Klaus, and Leuven, and Tim Parker pretty easily as guys I expected to perform well. Yeah. And they did perform. Some of them performed um, over their expectations, like Tim Parker, I think. But from, from impressive... Um, I would go to, I would say, Jbulu Blom. Um, didn't know much about him coming in, uh, mm-hmm. uh, other than the fact that Lutz talked about him as the missing piece signed towards the end of the offseason last year, and high expectations. Like, we, we the- theoretically thought that, you know, he's young, South African national team. He's going to use this as a springboard to Europe. But he became a player that, when he's not in our lineup, we're a vastly different team. We relied on him as our pivot so often, and the the record speaks for itself in the difference between him in and out of our lineup. So Jabulu Blom's one. We'll go AZ Jackson. AZ Jackson started last year coming off of Minnesota United 2. He played for City 2 to start the year, and then he became our, our number 10, the guy that you could put in pen in a lot of ways in our roster, in our starting lineup. AZ Jackson, Jabulu Blom, and I'll say Rasmus Alm. I'm going to go with Rasmus Alm. And, and for two reasons. Um, he, the win he did play, it was a Jabulu Blom type scenario. We were just a different looking team. He knew how to press. He knew when to press in our system. He was such a pivotal point on the right side. He could fill in as a second striker. And when we were missing him down the stretch, boy, did we suffer. Uh, we we were not the same team without Rasmus Alm, and he from a goal scoring and a uh, playmaking capability, uh, in addition to his defensive prowess, the the Rasmus Alm that we saw was 
it gave us some of that preparation, the glimpses of the future of when you get Rasmus Alm healthy for next year or for this coming year, you can see a lot of good things happening. Cool. All good ones. Yeah. Joe, what do you got? Well, I mean, now that he's taken all of those three, those, those <laughs> you can are still, you can the benefits of going first. My, my, you can piggyback on that. Blom would have been the first one that I would have said, too, uh, for all these same reasons that you just talked about. It's a very different team when he's out there on the field. But I, I want to, I'll make mine, I'll go with three guys that you didn't say, since you've, uh, you know, made great arguments for all three of them. Uh, I'm going to go Sam Adenarin. Because, like you said, a, a player who I did not really have expectations for, and I think we all saw there's a reason why he got loaned out early in the season. I, I you know, even Carnell wasn't seeing where he fit in at that point, uh, given the way that it was. And then to see how much his season turned around in the middle of it, uh, that, that was fantastic. Very big surprise there. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Markanich because for as a midseason addition who again coming in with I have no expectations I know nothing about this guy I've never seen him uh, and then to see that he actually answered the questions that we'd had at left back he plays more of the style of left back I want to see out there not somebody who's forced into a position out of position which uh, Hebert handled well for a guy who that's not his natural position but to, to have an actual left back who actually knows how to do the job was a great surprise and then I'm going to go with Tim Parker because uh, even though you said, you know, maybe coming in we all expected more from him, I, I didn't expect him to be as solid back there as he was, to be all-star level. I thought he would be, like, a dependable guy, like a legit MLS starter. But then to see, like, no, this is an all-star player. This is a guy that any team in the league should be dying to have and that we're really lucky we were able to get him the the way that we were at the beginning of the season. I, I think he was... He should have been more expensive for us to get than he was, and I think that is some good, you know, good roster management right there. I, I like that shout. Um, the more I think about it, Tim Parker is he deserves to be on the impressive list. You know, yeah. Houston's been paying half his salary while yeah, he's been performing right. as an All Star for us. What what team can you say would be willing to give up a potential All Star to pay half their salary just mm-hmm. to get rid of him? But that's. If we can keep making moves like that, finding guys that we are underpaying for, obviously we have a low salary. If you can underpay for guys who are overperforming consistently, you know that's how you build a sustainable team. You don't want to be on the other side, overpaying for guys who aren't even there, shelling out the big bucks for a guy who just sits the bench, or you know, it, it, we've definitely seen some clubs in MLS doing that, bringing in big, high-priced foreign talent, and then. Uh, they're not good enough to contribute, you know, or bring in a, a striker who scores you one goal in the year. You know, we don't want to, there are a lot of teams overpaying for that kind of thing. And Tim Parker's the exact opposite. We're underpaying for a great amount of uh, contribution. Okay. Well, fair. Um, mine really quick. Uh, I'm going to go with Stroud just because that was, I think he played above what his capabilities really are. He's not a great player, but he just had a really good year. Mm-hmm. I'm also, I am going to say Leuven because even though DP, I really didn't know what to expect, especially in the position he was playing and to come out, you know, swinging the way he did with some of those goals and those assists and just, yeah. And, oh, and his, the way he managed the ball in the middle, the, mm-hmm. his ball handling at times skillful beyond belief well that's why the only time i really strongly disagreed with carnell and his roster management over the season is when he's trying to not play leuven in the center i i don't yeah. like him on yeah. the wing because of what you're talking about there i like seeing him better in the middle let everything flow through the guy he's yeah. he's made for that 
And then uh, my third one, I'm going to go with uh, Owen O'Malley. I thought he had a great season. I'm joking. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> had, to, had to throw that out there. Um, actually, I didn't. I, it's hard to think of a third one beyond what you guys have already said. So I'm just going to leave it at that because. You're seconding all of the other choices. Yeah, exactly. There. Yeah. So. Uh, so can cool. I throw an honorable mention since you only listed two? Nope. Ooh. Yeah, go ahead. Indiana Vasilev. I thought about that too, actually. And, and the reasoning I would say impressed is he came in with high expectations in yeah. the sense that U.S. Uh, youth national team, Aston Villa, you know, he's got a lot of the accolades that you would expect to for a young developing player to excel. But he started the season as one of our number sixes, a position he's never played before. And he continued to fill in that role a significant amount this year in addition to his attacking <clears throat> midfield. And his, his ability for... Um, flexibility and to learn new positions and to help us out in so many different ways on top of what he showed us in games like the first Sporting Casey game where he scored two goals and he became our number 10 for a period of time. Yeah. He, he slid himself into the attacking right side pretty significantly at the end of the year. That versatility is one of the reasons he impressed me. Well, that's why I'd love to see what he looks like in a more stable lineup around him where you don't have an injury to Leuven, where you don't mm-hmm. have, you know, it. I would like to see him not have to do that for a season and see what he looks like when he's not having to bounce into a whole bunch of different roles, some of which are, are a better fit than others. And yeah. we'll get to City, the uh, roster moves in that in a bit, which I think will lead plays to... Plays into that. Yeah, yes. plays into that for sure. So, okay, final question before we move on. Out of the current City roster, probably sign some more players here soon, uh, what player is your breakout player for next season or just player to watch next season is chris durkin too easy of an answer no that's that's a good good answer i i I was thinking about that on the way here and we've talked about chris durkin in uh you know the newest addition to the city roster brought in as the defensive midfielder and what that likely means for depth at that position but i started thinking about the initial roster build and joe you, you were talking about how we haven't really made any mistakes and I wouldn't call them mistakes, but the fact that we're paying a combined like $1.1 million for Selmer Pedro and Tomas Ostrak in what their overall contributions have been this year, like I see that as... Um, that, that That's a mistake, but you want to keep your mistakes small. Well, here, let's say it that way. Agreed. And here's where I, I come at that from the Durkin perspective is just because a guy was brought in initially to be a potential number 10 or a potential left back and you can slot them in from the get-go and they they've had success a little bit yeah varying degrees just because you're paying them a lot of money nobody's spot is entirely safe with this team i would only i would only argue that berkey klaus uh, leuven nielsen parker those kinds of players that's fine maybe they're the if they're healthy they're in all the time but i even think there could come a time where if their form uh regresses significantly carnell's not going to just stick with them because they've always been there he's not a if you're here you're always going to be here and so my point with that is Durkin could challenge Blome I mean we always, we've been talking about Durkin complimenting Blome or being depth mm-hmm. to Blome don't sleep on Chris Durkin's ability to take that spot if he earns it this year and so that just provides it provides a, a competitive edge that I think Blome probably needs yeah. as opposed to just saying you can slot him in every time as the pivot yeah, yeah that, it, that, it's definitely better if you have people. You want all of your starters to be getting challenged. You want them fighting mm-hmm. to keep those spots. That's how you, you know, it, it does. It builds a better team that way. Absolutely agree. Well, very good. Thanks, Matt. Um, that'll do it. That wasn't too painful. 
All right, let's get down to business. City has had a relatively busy offseason so far, as Joe mentioned, and we'll start by going through the players that were not offered contracts going forward beyond their one-year guarantees by City. Uh, John Nelson, as we predicted. I'm actually, uh, unless you guys have heard different, I'm surprised that he hasn't been picked up by another club yet, to be honest. I'm, He's I'm still sure out he, there, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he could fill in some holes for some other teams or add depth You'd for think sure. So. Not he a terrible a... player, just didn't work out. He had a hamstring injury later in the year, so I don't know if there are injury concerns that are Could playing be. into that. Could be. Uh, Michael Creek, third string keeper. Owen O'Malley, college super draft pick. Max Schneider, I was a little shocked by that one. Signee, who was loaned to City 2 for all of last season. And John Bell, who was just picked up by Seattle this week. But really, any surprises here, Matt? Max Schneider, I guess, would probably be one of them in the sense that... What, what, it's hard to see what the point was. Um, I guess I make the thought that he we had a spot available. We were prog- we were promoting players from City Two. He did so well with City Two in twenty twenty two. One of the reasons he was loaned for the season was because of his international roster slot and needing wanting to I guess keep that available. And so being on a season long loan, he didn't occupy an international slot for us. He had time to develop, prove himself. He, he excelled with City, too. I mean, he played well enough to, to me that if you're going to pick anybody to earn a, sl- a spot, why not Max Schneider? I just wonder if the international roster slot kept him back a little bit in comparisons to some of the other players. And then just to let him go. Like, I'm just not yeah. sure what the long-term thought process was and what the conversations were this year surrounding Max Schneider. He was only called up one time, I think around the June time period, where he appeared on a roster, but he never actually saw match time. Mm-hmm. And he just seemed like one of those guys who didn't really get a fair shake to prove himself yeah. on the city roster this yeah. year. Which is a little bit of a shame because when, you know, in 2022, when we only had City 2 to watch, and uh, he was the first player to really impress me as a, oh, you know, man, this, this guy looks like a guy who could be, you know, moving up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was the first one on that roster that I noticed and said, you know, he, he has actual MLS potential. I really want to see where this guy goes. And apparently the answer is nowhere here. You know, I, I hope for his sake that he, you know, that, that he finds a spot somewhere because he has, I think he has the skill set for that. Yeah. And I, I, I am just a little bummed from him and uh, some of the other guys the re-entry draft stage one was this past week and guys like Max Schneider, uh, John Bell, they were eligible for that. And there were only two teams that actually picked players in that mm-hmm. draft. It's kind of like a rule five draft restricted free agency type thing where players who don't meet the free agency requirements of uh, five years of service, 22 years of age, those kinds of things, or 24 years for free agency, they, they're in re-entry. And Max Schneider didn't get picked up and 27 teams chose not to pick a player. I, I don't know where his future lies yeah. specifically with MLS. I mean, maybe I, maybe USL. I gotta think he's yeah. gonna end up on a USL roster, but he should be somebody who's on people's radars mm-hmm. if they're right. you know it, you would think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for me personally, um, the I was disappointed to see John Bell go, um, as well as Max Schneider. But John Bell, I thought we didn't really get to see him enough, and what I saw personally, I I did like. You know, I think he would have been a good center back option uh, for depth, especially with all these tournament games. But, oh, well, good luck to those guys. So, And then City did extend the contracts for Kyle Hebert on a multi-year contract and Josh Yarrow for one more season. Um, thoughts on those two, Matt? Well, 
we talked about on flyover about Kyle Hebert being almost the the length of his contract is the thing that really spoke yeah, to me. Yeah, that one I was surprised to see a, a, a guy who we may not be seeing starting uh, getting that long of a deal because uh, they're they're planning on keeping him around for a while. Yeah, and you look to some of the other center backs especially, and Joachim Nilsson's contract goes about that length, but we're talking Hebert's contract will extend past Tim Parker, past Josh Yarrow, past Anthony Markanik, I mean, on their current deals. And so you're seeing Carnell's faith in Kyle Hebert be so massive and Lutz's be so massive that they want him to be a part of this team that they can build around. So what does that mean for the back line? And I, I think what it means is yet to be seen because – Kyle Hebert's either going to be probably our starting left back or one of our main rotational center backs. He's not going to be a starting center back right off the bat. And he could be a guy who sees a lot of time in Champions Cup, in the Open Cup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Freudian slip on that one. <laughs> Champions Cup, Leagues Cup. And I, I wonder what kind of moves we're going to make that show us where Kyle Hebert's going to shake out. That's That's my thing this year. But either way... The flexibility he showed to left back is one of the driving factors, I think, in why they want to uh, have him be a part of this team for so long. He can fill so many different gaps no matter what they need. Yeah, I mean, they, you got to think that that's a big factor on it is the fact that he can play multiple positions. But I still, I, if I'm looking at this roster, I don't have him penciled in as a starter. And that just seems like a lot of faith to put in a guy who... As of today, I would not start him if if we had a game, you know, next weekend. Uh, he, he would be a, he's a great depth guy, but do you give depth guys that kind of multi year deal? Um, so obviously they see him as more than that down the road. They see him as yeah, either heavy rotation in the center back spot, or maybe they have more injury concerns than they're letting on. Maybe they're worried that they are going to need him for longer stretches uh, this next year. You know, I, I don't know. You know, is Nilsson, you know, do they not have faith that Nilsson is going to be playing 38 games here, that he's going to be, you know, not good good for that kind of, we haven't seen him in that kind of position yet. We haven't seen him play a whole long summer of St. Louis heat through all of those games when the, when the schedule's tight. And so maybe, maybe they're worried about that. You you have seen uh, before this season, Lutz offer extended contracts to guys like Isak Jensen and Tomas Ostrak as well. Ostrak signed through 2025 as well, Jensen through 27. So regardless of their current position, they seem to be a, a staff that puts a lot of priority on the next few years and the, either the hope or the expectation that what they've seen so far will only develop better. That's a lot of faith. Yeah. And so... We'll, we'll we'll see if that is all if all of that pays off or uh, you know I mean you're gonna strike out on a few guys um, you just hope that those aren't I, again the, the, you hope they're not making big mistakes you hope that when you do miss on a guy it's a you know it's not somebody on a really long deal on the really big contracts. There is the other angle on Kyle Hebert of uh, talk of potentially trades to Canadian teams. Mm. Nothing firm, nothing legit. It's just it theoretical positing the fact that canadian teams uh could be more interested in a canadian men's national team player because of the roster relief that'll provide as well the flexibility to canadian clubs um and the fact that signing him to a multi-year deal if they were to move him earlier in that it could garner them more in a in a, in tra- in a trade type of a deal whether it's game or, or whatnot so there's value that hebert can provide 
there, I think that's more of a cherry on top than anything that would really feature in the reason why they did this. Right. Yeah, I hadn't, I had honestly had not thought about that or heard anything about that possibility for Hebert. I did hear the rumor about Yarrow, though. Um, that little, that was floating that was around a little bit. That one was surprising. That's very recent. Yeah. And uh, Stephen Goff, I believe, was the mm-hmm. one who broke that from the Washington Post that other teams are interested. He did clarify himself that it's nothing City is initiating. Yeah, they're not shopping him, right. but that there may be some interest there. Yeah, yeah which we you mentioned, Steve, the depth that John Bell could have provided. Mm-hmm. If we were to move Yarrow, we're looking at <laughs> now having Joachim Nilsson, Tim Parker, Hebert. and Kyle Hebert <laughs> as our center backs, right. and Anthony Marcanic as our only left back. Uh-huh. So that... That would be a very interesting twist, and I think some teams would have to overpay yeah. to get Josh Yarrow at this point. Well, and if, I mean, if if that would happen, I mean, this is kind of worst case scenario, I guess. And we went through Yarrow leaves. We're stuck with what we have. Can't find really anybody else. It's in a case like that that you might just have to recall Pedro. Yeah. Yeah, and so I mean, we, we, that's going to be a question. That, is that the plan? I don't, I don't Are they planning on bringing him back anytime soon, or is this a you know a guy we're not really going to see in a city uniform anymore? You know, I, I'm I'm not sure where his future lies there, and that'll be very interesting to find out. And with Josh Yarrow, I I'll say I was pleasantly surprised to see his contract extended. He's one of the fan favorites, a fairly solid center back, but with speed, with that I really like. He can fill in at right back too. Yeah, and just a good guy. <laughs> you got to always. Mentioned that he's a good guy whenever you talk about Josh Yarrow. I met him yeah, at the at the wish wish list weekend holiday shopping event at City Pavilion. Just yeah, super nice. Shows up to supporter group functions. Yeah, I mean he he supports the supporters like none other. Yeah, he was he was when I got his autograph. Um, I was happy to he was happy to talk to me, especially after he found out that I was a Luligan and North End season ticket holder. His eyes lit up and he thanked the group through me basically and. Uh, so glad that he's here for another season, hopefully, fingers crossed. So yeah, that was one one contract extension. Uh, City also announced that goalkeeper Christian Oliveris was signed to a first-team contract, essentially, essentially filling that role that Michael Creek had last season. Uh, two-year contract, I believe, with club options for 26 and 27. He's only 21 and could possibly play a bigger role in City's future. If you're a third-string keeper... Uh... You should not be seeing the field unless something has gone wrong in the right. season. And I've been talking about how I think he would have had the best opportunity of any third-string keeper to see time because of our extra competition with Champions Cup and mm-hmm. League's Cup. But given what we're going to talk about here pretty soon yeah. with the Open Cup, like I, I don't see that as much anymore. But it's the length of the contract that's fascinating to me. Yeah. And I mentioned the the defensive line contracts. You have a goalkeeping core now of Berkey, Ben Lunt, and Christian Alvarez. And Ben Lunt's contract is up after 24. Mm-hmm. Roman Berkey's contract is up after 25. There are likely options for both, as MLS typically ta- tax an option year on all of their contracts. But Olivares' contract mirrors Berkey's in length with two option years. So if you're looking to have some kind of continuity past Roman Berkey in the far future... Because I know none of us want to think about that right now. Right, yeah, <laughs> you can see how Olivares could be picking up where where Berkey leaves mm-hmm. if he's able to prove himself. He might make his way up. He might, yeah. Cut, you know, Berkey's take not over Lutz. Berkey's not a, then... 
Well, keepers can play well a whole lot younger or a whole lot longer than yeah. outfield players can, but even Roman Berkey is eventually going to have to retire here. Uh, so yeah. that is something they need to be doing long-term planning about way more than any other position. And regardless of how much game time Olivera sees, the fact that he's going to be in training day in, day out with Alex Langer, goalkeeping coach, with Roman Berkey, goalkeeper, that's like that's huge yeah. for a player's development. Absolutely. Pretty much assume that that's in, that's in their plan or one of their plan options is to keep Olivares and, you know, whether or not they re-sign Lunt or not. And then Olivares works his way up the ladder and now all of a sudden he's our second string keeper and takes that spot, you know, you know, that's got to be floating around mm-hmm. the clubhouse there. So, I mean, yeah, in a, in, in a couple of years being second stringer behind Berkey is not a bad position yeah, to be in. Absolutely. And then we have City's first trade that occurred on the opening day of the transfer window, December 11th, as City traded Jared Stroud, Lucas Bartlett, and $300,000 in GAM for 23-year-old defensive midfielder Chris Durkin from D.C. United. And this is a big trade. Yeah, this one surprised me. I did not realize they were looking at that. I I called it our first blockbuster trade Yeah, because it involves two players going out, GAM going out, we're trading Stroud, we're trading Bartlett, $300,000 in GAM. And we're getting a youth national team player who they very specifically referred to as a defensive midfielder. You know, we, Durkin mm-hmm. can play a little higher up in a box-to-box type role. He can play on the right side. But if you're going to look at him as a defensive midfielder, that we talked about it as one thing I'm most excited about this next year is to see how he pushes Blom and yeah. that depth and stability that can bring to our midfield. And like you said, Joe, allow Indiana Vasilev to move higher up and to keep some of those players in their more natural positions. That's going to only be better for this team and their cohesiveness as they grow. And I don't really think we overpaid for him. I think you mentioned, Steve, that Jared Stroud is one of the players who impressed you the most. And I think that speaks to... That because he overperformed. Selling high. Yeah. And I love being able to sell high on players. Yeah. As much as I don't like to lose players who right. have just showed us an ability to just go beyond themselves and what we thought they were capable of, I love the concept of selling high. And I think mm-hmm. that's what we did with Stroud. Bartlett, he, he was a trialist. He cost us nothing. Right. And he helped us for huge portions of the year. When Kyle Heber moved to left back, Bartlett took over the center back role mm-hmm. next to Tim Parker. And we were able to flip two players in positions of strength to bring in a player at a position of need. And that's exactly what you hope to do when you're mixing and matching all these different roster pieces. I'm a big fan of this move. Yeah. I hope he pans out. I mean, I hope Durkin is what, uh, is is what we think we're getting here. Cause if he is, then it is, it's a great move, but he's, he's a young guy and we'll see how that, uh, see how he fits in here and what that looks like of him challenging Blom. I will see how much we're seeing of him on the field or, you know, what, what actually happens there. And he's had, he's had an interesting path here. So oh, yeah. he was D.C. United's youngest homegrown player, homegrown signing. He was on 16 loan. 16 when they signed him, right? Exactly. Yeah. He saw some time in MLS under that homegrown contract, and then he was loaned out to St. Trudence in the mm-hmm. Belgian First Division. Which, that was my first reaction, is how weird it is to have two different guys on the roster <laughs> from St. Trudence uh, yeah. in, in him and Klaus. Like, that is the most random yeah. team to have two guys from... Uh, you know, a, a team I knew nothing about before we signed Klaus. Uh, and now we got two guys who've, who've spent time there. I think they even overlapped briefly. Yes. They did, yeah. I, I don't know if they saw the field together at the same time, but they were on the roster together. Yeah. And, and the path back to MLS is fascinating for Durkin because he didn't come straight back to D.C. United. He was on uh, – he, he was 
he came to Houston, uh, and they kind of traded for him. DC United traded. They oh. leveraged the allocation order. I guess I missed that. Used that. To, yeah, I did it not was, see that. I had to dig huh. back into DC United's original signing announcement to figure this out, but they also paid Houston a hefty sum, uh, $325,000 in GAM, if I recall, and they got a lot of money. It was a good transfer fee uh, from St. Trudence. So there's there's been a lot of dollars exchanging hands for Durkin that make it seem where a player we've sold high and selling depth and just three hundred thousand general allocation money, that's why I don't think we're overpaying because he's been a proven asset back and forth across the pond here for the past few years. Yeah, so that'll be exciting to see what he adds to the lineup. Uh, moving on, and then City made one more trade. This one's huge. But this time it was in the form of money. <laughs> sending 175000 in GAM to Nashville for one of their international roster slots. And for everyone who hates MLS rules, uh, this is a perfect, yeah, tra- trading fake money for a yeah. spot that has no player in it. Yeah. Um, now, Matt, Joe, and I were trying to figure this out. Exactly how many international slots does City have for the 2024 season? How many filled, how many open? Nine slots. And we have okay, eight so that was the right ninth now. that we got. Okay, every team gets eight to start the year, and no matter how many right. you've acquired the previous year, it all resets to eight. Okay, so last year we had traded and acquired three more slots, but we go back to eight. We have eight international players under contract on our active roster right now. We have a, an additional two players on loan in Pedro and Jensen, who are mm-hmm. internationals. So if the season were to start today. We would be in compliance with eight international players, and we would have one open international roster slot. So then the question becomes, is that international roster spot in anticipation of bringing one of those guys back, or are we looking to sign somebody here, maybe possibly during the January transfer window, coming uh, here out of Europe? That's, I think that's the big question. And flexibility is the name of the game, because mm-hmm. it provides Lutz the ability to say, I could do either. And no matter what I do, if I need something else, I can go to another team to get another slot. Mm-hmm. And they did that throughout the offseason last year. And in fact, they had an additional international slot compared to what they needed during the summer transfer window. And it was like on the last day of the summer transfer window this past season, they flipped it back to Atlanta for 100000 in 2024 game. So they can make moves up until the deadline. It, it's all about leaving themselves room to make the decision on on having options. So Joe, exactly like you said, like they now have the ability to bring in an international player in the January window. They have the ability to recall Jensen or Pedro, one or the other, if they need to. And so if they don't sign any international player, but they still have this slot, that just leaves the ability during the season for them to bring one of those two back. Do we know what the rules are in them bringing them back of when that would happen? Does that have to happen at a certain time, given the the loan deals? I'm honestly just not even sure what the loan how the de- loan deals are set up. Yeah, both of their loan deals go through the end of June. Mm-hmm. So they it would, would have be the to, end of the European yeah, season. And they do have clauses to recall. So they have the ability to work with their respective teams to recall them. And they can recall them throughout the season. As long as they have an open roster slot and an open international slot, they can recall them and put them on the active roster again. Okay, well, that's that's super helpful. That's good to know. Um, yeah, a lot of confusion about that. So that's all the moves that City has made so far. Uh, I think it's safe to say, though, that we'll still see a couple more additions to City's roster before the season begins. They now have, what, four openings on the roster? Is that correct? Four? Still have five. Still We've, five. Uh, it, it's, a, it's been a net, net neutral offseason so okay. far by trading away Stroud and Bartlett and signing 
Olivares, and Durkin. And they had 25 coming into the offseason with Pedro and Jensen on loan, making a total of 27. So we still have five open slots. Okay, so yeah, we'll definitely see some. We, especially with those tournament games, we could uh, still need some depth. So let's shift gears a little and talk about tournaments for 2024. I'll begin with the uh, less controversial one, the CONCACAF Champions Cup draw, which was Wednesday night, December 13th. And we could sit here and talk for quite a while on the Champions Cup itself, but what I want to do is focus more on City's situation and what we have to look forward to for them. Um, so City was placed into round one, where they will place, play Houston Dynamo in a home and away round. This is an aggregate-based tournament for the two-leg rounds, so regardless of wins and losses, whichever team actually scores the most goals, goal differential will advance to the next round. All rounds are two legs except for the final. But every team is guaranteed a home game, so we will, at the very least, see City play Houston at City Park in round round one. Yeah, good good and bad news with that, because uh, on the one hand, good news that St. Louis has the shortest travel of anybody in uh, round yeah. one of, of the, <laughs> the Cup, which is great. There's some teams that are having to travel a lot further. But that's also the bad news, is this is a really boring draw. Yeah. Uh, there's some exciting, fun international clubs in this tournament, and we're not playing any of them. We're playing, what are they, the third closest team to us, fourth closest team yeah. to us in our conference, uh, it, you know, a couple of states away. That that's I, I was all psyched to look at plane tickets to Jamaica or Costa Rica or somewhere, uh, you know, maybe try and get an exotic trip out of this, and and it's, it's Houston. Nope. We have to win even bigger for that to happen, apparently. So if we actually would have... Even won if, the MLS Cup. Because then even then if we, we win, chance, we're looking but... at probably another MLS uh, matchup in the next round mm-hmm. too, right? So Columbus Crew. Yeah, Columbus, Columbus Crew. So, so, yeah. yeah if... Just luck of the draw because St. Louis does not have as long of a record. Um, when they're looking at it, where you've placed in previous tournaments and things for what pot you end up in, we, we kind of got yeah, just we'll, the boring into yeah. this thing. We'll have to face Columbus in the round of 16 for that two-leg matchup, like you said, if we do advance... Five teams in this tournament were awarded first-round buys due to various tournament wins. For Columbus, it was obviously the MLS Cup Final that put them in their spot, uh, which was also a draw. In our half of the bracket, there's no real name for either side of the bracket, so East versus West or anything, so I'm just going to say our half of the bracket. Um, Miami was the other final champ uh, who was awarded a a first-round buy. Due to the League's Cup. Yeah, for their winning in the League's Cup. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, we don't have dates and times yet, but CONCACAF did lay out a timetable for now to give us an idea of when these games will be played out. Um, if you can't wait until the dates and times are actually published, you can go to the CONCACAF website to see the breakdown of the rounds. But I'll summarize it here just a little to give you a sense of when. First thing to know is that round one will be played entirely in February. Yeah, that's coming up fast. They are, yeah, they are distributing the matches by week, and they're all midweek games with one week off in between, so City could end up with week one and three or two and four, basically. Uh, we should have a home game the first the first game, the first yeah. match. Yeah, so we're looking at either the first or second week of February there for that home game. Uh, I know season ticket holders have already been getting a right of refusal on your season tickets for that. Mm-hmm. And then when we do advance, exactly, City will play Columbus in March with the first legs being played March 5th through, 5th through 7th. 
and the second legs March 12th through 14th. And I'll go a little further. Both the quarterfinals and semifinals are all played in April, and then the final is held on June 2nd. So there you go. Yeah, it's the probably path uh, that allows us to move on the easiest because we've got familiarity with Houston, and I know they have familiarity with us, but we've beaten them and drew them last year. It's not going to be entirely the same Houston team, but they've kept their core together as well. Uh, I don't think they're losing too many pieces. I think um, Corey Baird in their attack may be the only significant piece they're losing. But, yeah, having a home game to start it off is a positive for us. We know how dangerous City has Mm -hmm. historically been, although who knows what the weather in February in St. Louis is going to be like. I remember Mm -hmm. St. Louis FC matches in February that were just miserable to go to and obviously we know what freezing weather at city park is like and and then just you you the two things were the exciting travel the exciting um opponent or the path to move on and i think it just it's swayed too far into the path to move on because you don't even get an opportunity to travel to an exciting location in the second round columbus Mm -hmm. it's not until the third round the quarterfinals where there are two potential non-U.S. based teams we could play if everything shakes out like that, and it would be Tigres from Liga Mekis or uh, Calvary from the Canadian First Division or yeah. whatever they're called, yeah, Canadian Premier League, yeah, and yeah. and that's just you know a little bit of a letdown because we already have a tournament against Mexican teams, mm-hmm. and so it's not it's it's an international competition. It's great to be a part of it. It's great to be a part of that history. Uh, but there was that little bit of a letdown in how the bracket was, was made. And to Joe's point, it does it is unfortunate to me that they used the CONCACAF club rankings to do this Yeah, because it penalized us as a brand new team. Mm-hmm. We started from the bottom, literally from the bottom of these rankings last year, and our, our performance this year has led us to be the 47th ranked team in all of CONCACAF. And for them to use club rankings which take into account historical context for ranking a single year tournament i just think i i posited that there should have been some kind of uh a coefficient added absolutely that yeah. do, even that would have been an easy fix yeah it's a really easy fix um that they just didn't bother to do because we're the only people who are as fans are getting screwed over by it and like mm-hmm. you said it i mean at least we're getting we're getting a winnable match doesn't mean we're going to beat houston but that right. is a winnable matchup that, that is a team we could advance against, and we should go in feeling like we have a good chance. It's just not very exciting. No, and it, it's another MLS team also. That's the, the, the kicker. We're... If you do get bad weather on a midweek matchup, you know, that, that could be rough. Yep. All right, let's uh, now move on to some less exciting news, <laughs> or depending on how you look at it anyway, and that was the announcement that MLS has decided to play all of the next pro teams in this year's Open Cup in place of the first teams who wants to weigh in on this one <laughs> baker you want to go first here you want to i have strong feelings i'll let you uh, have yeah, first word. I, do, I do too i, I think 95 percent of us in 95 percent of city fans probably don't like this yeah the comments that i've seen that are in support of this are related to people who either they don't know about the history of the open cup or they prioritize playing more top tier opponents versus the romanticism and the domestic cup competition that is the U.S. Open Cup or cups that are similar to that, uh, like the FA Cup. And there aren't very many 
there aren't really very many arguments that I could even come up with on why this makes sense. The fact that MLS is unilaterally making the decision to pull their first team clubs out and substitute third division pro teams in the MLS Next Pro is it's it's the most short-sighted asinine and selfish thing I could possibly think of a professional league doing and the nerve that MLS had to do this and the way that MLS did this it should draw the ire of a hundred percent of fans because from what I know and from, from what we know about Friday news dumps and what those mean they're trying to hide it they're trying to get it on the back page of the of the pages they're trying to shove this under the rug so nobody's going to talk about it. That's what the Friday news dump is for. Oh yeah. But when you add on to it the fact that from statements made by U.S. Soccer, MLS did not inform U.S. Soccer, the U.S. Soccer Federation, of this of this move, of this desire. And to add on to that, what I've been told from some, some media friends in the Kansas City area is that MLS chose to announce this very deliberately on this past Friday afternoon. The rumor going around is that it has to do with the schedule release that's coming this Wednesday. So on December 20th, there will be the MLS schedule released. And so be looking to see if that will conflict with any U.S. Open Cup dates. That's one thing that could have caused them to come out with this so early. But the other thing is apparently U.S. soccer was holding a holiday party this past Friday. And it just so happened to coincide with when that announcement was made. So they didn't inform U.S. Soccer. They announced it when everybody was occupied and supposed to be celebrating and not able to put together a quick retort or response. There's so many dirty layers oh, to this. Man. On top of the fact that there is a uh, professional league standards document that U.S. Soccer has, which holds every league and every team in every league in the U.S. Soccer pyramid accountable to standards of play. And this this dictates certain things like minimum number of teams, minimum, minimum stadium sizes, all min- of those kind of rules. Yes. And minimum financial capabilities of owners. Like we're going deep into what you have to have and to, have to, to do. To even qualify as a first division league, as a second division league. Exactly. And one of these one of these requirements of men's first division teams are that they compete in all applicable U.S. soccer and CONCACAF tournaments in which they're eligible for. This is for the first. This isn't saying if you are an organization that contains a first division or et cetera teams, this is specifically to be in a first division league. So one of the conversations going on right now is when U.S. soccer decides to respond, what will their response be? Because they have a chance to really stick it to MLS for what they're doing. And and the fact that MLS did this so unilaterally, they have a chance to, by sticking to their own bylaws, punish MLS or at least have some kind of unprecedented response that I mean the the imagination the, the sky's the limit on what they could possibly do they could because if you could if they could in theory decertify MLS as a first division team or as a first division league which affects MLS's ability to participate in CONCACAF mm-hmm. uh, tournament I mean in FIFA. CONCACAF tournaments and FIFA, FIFA tournaments, tournaments. Right. Uh, that would make them not eligible for, say, Champions Cup in yeah. the future. Not make them eligible for FIFA Club World mm-hmm. Cup, because those are only open to certain. Like you have to be certified by your your federation. And a lot of players wouldn't want to play under those circumstances either. Because yeah, it affects players internationally. They, they, there's, I, I would love to see them bring out the big guns and threaten on this. 
it's just not right. It is not no. how it's supposed to work. The Open Cup has been around four times as long as MLS. Mm-hmm. MLS needs to bend to the the tradition. When MLS came up with League's Cup last year as an additional tournament with uh, between the U.S. and Mexico, I, on this podcast, defended that move. I heard some people complain like, oh, it's a cash grab, adding another tournament. All tournaments are cash grabs. The Europa League is a giant cash grab in mm-hmm. Europe. But when Rangers played in the Europa League final. I was at the Amsterdam of my jersey on watching the game. It's a cash grab. That's okay because, to me, it was just more meaningful soccer games, and I'm okay with that. But because MLS has more financial return from the League's Cup, more control over it because it's their thing and not U.S. soccer's thing, then they want to flip it and keep League's Cup and not Open Cup? That's... it. I, then I, it makes me regret ever defending them on the move of starting another tournament that now they want to say their league their schedule is too congested. They can't play both tournaments. Well, then the league's cup needs to go away, which is why that's how some of the fan organizations seem to be taking it. And we saw a joint statement from uh, all of the recognized mm-hmm. supporters groups in the North End. Yeah. Uh, and saying, the ISC itself. And the ISC well. itself, the internet, uh, the, the, the supporters council. council. And, yeah. Yes. The, uh, where... Fans are refusing to have organized fan activities during any League's Cup games if the U.S. Open Cup is not going to be played by the first teams, which is absolutely the right way. And I will be curious to see if it extends as far as fans, you know, choosing to boycott League's Cup games. I've seen some rumblings of that online, but not in an organized fashion from the supporters. But the, the St. Louis supporters groups have all declared that there will not be any organized supporters activities in the league's cup if that happens i i don't think that that's what this team wants i don't think you want a big mexican club coming in like when club america came in last year in a stadium with no drums no tifos no you know mm-hmm, right. it i i think they want the whole thing they need to respect the history and respect the fans and there's the aspect that what what involvement if any did apple have in this because we've heard mls refer to apple more as a partner and this Apple is the one doesn't have financial control over this tournament. This yes. is the one tournament that Apple doesn't have rights for that yeah. MLS teams yeah. participate in. So all of a sudden now it's not important because that's mm-hmm. not where the TV rights are. And that's the one complaint I've heard from fans like, well, Open Cup sucks anyway. The TV situation is a mess at the earlier rounds with some of these lower teams where you can't even watch some of the games. And that, that's a fair complaint, but it doesn't mean you, you want to scrap participating in the tournament. I mean, Premier League teams in in England, you you still expect that's the FA Cup. It's the beauty of it is now all of a sudden you're watching Arsenal and Man City sometimes having to go to some scrubby fourth division team that yeah. plays in a two thousand seat stadium. That that's the best. I love watching those kind of games. That's that's the beauty of soccer that you could join a beer league with you and your friends, and if it is a USASA affiliated beer league and you keep winning games. You could be playing at BMO Stadium. You could be playing at Mercedes-Benz. You know, it, you could be, you could make it that far. That's the the fun of it. You guys know that that meme, and I think it's an Eric Andre meme, where he's standing there with a gun, and he, he shoots the guy, and <laughs> yeah. he's like, oh my gosh, how could somebody shoot him? Yes. That, that, this, this, that meme is MLS doing that to U.S. Open Cup. Because, yep. because for... The one complaint that everybody has to this point that you just made, Joe, about the the facilities, the perception, the quality, the marketing, 
for so many years, there have been discussions about how to make the U.S. Open Cup more visible, better, more well-respected, and to grow it alongside MLS, to grow it into what they've really just all of a sudden made League's Cup into. The problem with this, this line of thinking is who has been responsible for the marketing and for everything regarding the U.S. Open Cup? And it ultimately goes back to U.S. soccer, but who's responsible for the marketing of U.S. soccer? And up until last year... It was Soccer United Marketing, a.k.a. MLS's marketing wing, run by the same board of governors mm-hmm. with the same priorities. Some has been responsible for the marketing of U.S. Open Cup. That's one thing that people are kind of irate about right now is the nerve that MLS has to tout all these things that have been negative about the U.S. Open Cup when they themselves have not prioritized funding to make that better. That is perfect. That's an exact description of the Eric Andre meme, which is, a, you know, Podcast being an audio medium, that's great. We're just going to sit here and describe <laughs> a meme to people. But, you know, picture it in your head. And that, that is the right analogy because they're messing it up. And and in the end, the people who get hurt are the lower division teams that don't have potential MLS opponents mm-hmm. and the fans of both lower division teams and upper division. I liked watching Omaha come in and play. That, that was fun. When we were all lower division fans here in St. Louis, some of my greatest memories yeah. of watching St. Louis FC were Open Cup games. When St. Louis FC were in the third division, Minnesota were in the second, and watching them, St. Louis FC get a win in, in a penalty shootout, and the fans rushing the field was great. Or like, taking a bus all the way to Atlanta to watch mm-hmm. us take on Atlanta United and go toe-to-toe with them, and Atlanta ran their starters out this was not that's one of the things i've heard some people saying online well mls doesn't even take it seriously anyway they run their scrubs out as it is when second division st louis fc came down to atlanta and had to travel there they had to bring their starters out to win and it was a great game and those are the memories that you're going to be losing without that and it's it's got way longer of a history than the league does and that picks up on one of the the really frustrating things that I have about this whole this whole arrangement. And it's the fact that they're also referencing fixture congestion as a reason why they did this. They 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 touted six midweeks that they'd free up, up to six weeks because of this move. But it's a cop out. Yes. And and they could have easily kept the first division team names, which do carry weight. That does matter. Like yeah. You can put players on the rosters, but it matters what crest they're wearing. It matters what team they're playing for. And you can, you, you could A, open up the rosters. Like you can, you can add additional roster slots. That's the long-term better solution for a lot of things. But the short-term thing that you could just easily do is add one line in your roster rules that say for U.S. Open Cup or for outside cup tournaments – you can you can Bring sub up. an unlimited yes. number of your affiliate players. You you can do that, and it's not unlike what you were describing exactly. earlier, Joe, with FA Cups, with Europa League, where you do see rotated lineups. Of yes. course, you do in the early rounds. Yeah. You expect that if you're playing a lower and division club. Questions part it. of bouncing your whole schedule for the whole year. Nobody That's what questions you do. it. It's expected, and it's yeah. fine. Yeah, it's and, and the good teams will have a deep enough roster that when you do that, you're not getting upset. And some teams do yeah. still, and that's part of the fun too. And it does help your whole roster because everybody can't be starters, and you do get that's guys where, out there that need time. That's and, where you get that third division keeper. Maybe gets a game, a guy mm-hmm. who's been sitting and mm-hmm. watching. You know, the guys ahead of him, like, well, you know, hey, we're 
we've got a division, a third division team coming in on a matchup. Get here's your chance, guy. You know, you get to run them out there. That's a, it's such an easy fix, and it is. It's such a cop out. There was a lot of chatter and a lot of frustration going around, especially on Twitter yesterday. And one of my favorite tweets that uh, made the rounds was from a Kansas City legend and U.S. men's national team player Jimmy Conrad. Um, he tweeted out. In, in regards to it, he said, expand the rosters, raise the salary cap, let the clubs decide on their approach to this competition, anything but this decision, because this trophy matters. It means something. It has our respect. It has history. And most importantly, it's for everyone. That was uh, one of the most brilliant tweets yep, that I saw sums yesterday. sums it up perfectly. Yeah. And one of the things MLS had actually said in their official communication is, this decision will provide emerging professional players with additional opportunities for meaningful competition. I figured they would say something like that. And so that you can accomplish that yeah. under the framework that we just discussed. We're using yeah. the first team name. with And you, you can bring unlim- up more guys from your own. An unlimited amount yes. for non-MLS regular season games. It doesn't impact the regular season roster rules in the slightest. You're just opening up what you can do in these outside tournaments. But the other thing I don't like about this statement is the implication that they're going to be using, and now it's overt by Next Pro, but their desire to use the U.S. Open Cup as a developmental tournament. Yeah. And but not... that's not what it is. It's it's the Open Cup. Yeah. It's, it, 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 you can have developmental tournaments. Great, do that. That That isn't what this is. Right. The only good news out of all of it, it's not the way we want it to happen, but a uh, non-MLS team should win. U.S. Open Cup, but that's the not the way we want to go around it, though. If a next pro team wins, is the next pro team going to be allowed in Champions Cup next year? Oh, yeah. Yeah, what the... That's, that's just one of many things wrong with this. Because then you've you've already made the whole tournament not important yet. Do you lose a Champions Cup spot over that? Or do you say, oh, well, you know, that's not even a real tournament. That's a developmental tournament. Those guys don't get that spot anymore because this isn't actually everyone in the U.S. I mean... All of a sudden, that's a different tournament. The the Canadian teams are still being allowed to participate in the Canadian Championship Cup. Mm. So you're still keep giving them the same fixture congestion. Mm-hmm. This this just it reeks of trying to throw any excuse for getting rid of a tournament you don't have full control over, full marketing control over, and you can't properly tout to make money off of. Yep, fixture congestion. They're already talking about what's going to happen in a couple of years when the World Cup is here. Um, Mm-hmm. I, I've heard rumors about MLS running a split season uh, to an accommodate the World Cup. Yeah. yeah, running Apertura Clausura in 2026. Uh, and then wondering, well, so what happens after that? If that works, do they make some permanent schedule changes at that point? Or, you know, would that be the beginning of massively rearranging the MLS calendar? I There's a lot of stuff up in the air, and this is the worst possible way to try to deal with any of it. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I, I think that uh, U.S. Open Cup should, hopefully they will, hold MLS hostage and say, I hope there's Look. enough fan backlash and enough pressure from U.S. soccer that maybe we'll see them back down on this. I, I, I'm trying to remember, and I'm sure there is something that historical context for fan backlash causing positive change, a reversal, of course. As far as MLS goes, I'm not. Nothing's coming to mind. Other than um, uh, the the banners, uh, do you guys remember the Iron Front? Yeah. A few years ago, Fan Backlash brought those back into stadiums. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the, some of the... But that's, I mean, that's fan behavior. That, that's, yeah. that's a minor so, win. It's not on field. So when I, when I think of the ability for the fan, fan backlash, the threatening to 
withhold uh, overt support for League's Cup and the optics, I tend to believe that MLS is going to either say we don't, we're not concerned with that, or they're going to try and call supporter groups bluffs and say prove it. And we'll see, you know, how much clout the supporters groups have in that or not. I don't right. Know. I, I don't know if that would turn into a full boycott. I don't know if that would turn into if you can get enough groups and enough teams from enough of the league to for them to care. And and get, seeing the media support, the non MLS hired media support. Uh, for this, I think is important. J- Jimmy Conrad, you're seeing ESPN, mm-hmm. The Athletic, all those guys with uh, appropriately worded statements in support of the fans, the history of the Open Cup. But I, I keep going back to the cards are in U.S. Soccer's hand. Yeah. And, and if something is I going mean. to be US done... U.S. Soccer yeah. needs to... If something you know, is going to be done, it's, and... it's U.S. Soccer. And yeah. they, they need yeah. to stick to their bylaws. They need to mm-hmm. bring the hammer down on this threat. Say, if you go through with this they, and they don't have to do anything now they can threaten mm-hmm. they can say mm-hmm. if you go through with this if your teams do not participate in the 2024 u.s open cup as you're required to if you miss a game or do not register your teams then we will take appropriate action yeah. per our bylaws yeah. yeah let's let's hope that happens um otherwise that who knows that, yeah that that's where yeah. my hope is holding out TBD. for right now. Yeah, we'll see. So, all right. So keep your eyes and ears on that. More to come. So, um, also in league news, after much rumored changes to the MLS salary rules, MLS announced no major changes. Where we <laughs> had keep on coming. We'll, we'll, we'll just we'll, we'll keep bashing on MLS. Yeah. And th- th- now we will get to uh, they made some positive rule yes. changes. But we'll the get, one big thing yeah. we all wanted to see was some roster rule changes. Yeah. There was uh, a possible fourth dp addition and you know rumors of raising the salary cap a little bit and all we get are some changes to budgets that involve how gam is received to transferring dps so boring stuff even for me yeah yeah that they made no nothing meaningful uh, but like joe just said there were also some new competition initiatives that were announced for this upcoming season and I have to say, uh, I'm happy with these. Yeah, see, MLS got this right. If they hadn't just botched the uh, Open Cup stuff, you know, could have been all positive about MLS now. Right. I, I, I would even roll with, well, you know, hopefully still some roster rule changes coming uh, if it hadn't been for the Cup. But yeah. the other rule changes are good. Um, yeah, they're, they're bringing not, up the time They're not perfect, and... but they're fan experience related more so than anything else. Yes. And and, and it it's also i mean yes there are the the, the substitution thing the mm-hmm. injury thing but i That's... think it all goes to like having the fan experience also be better because you're not having to wait around for it, it fixes one of the problems soccer has uh you know they tested out some new rules for time wasting in mls next pro this last year mm-hmm. uh if you're down on the ground for more than 15 seconds they bring on the trainer and you leave the field for a couple of minutes to receive treatment and then you can come back on uh and it's worked well in Next Pro. And that's mm-hmm. a, it's such an easy fix because that's one of the most frustrating things to watch as a fan. And one of the things that soccer bashers hate, like, oh, see, all they do in soccer is everybody yep. fakes injuries and rolls around on the ground. Well, it is really frustrating as a fan to watch a guy roll around for 10 minutes, act like he's going <laughs> to die, and then he pops up and he's okay. Like, well, are you hurt or are you not? And if you are, great, bring that guy off, get him treatment. And if he is, you get him off the field and realize, like, no, he's good to go, he jogged it off cool you only have to wait two minutes and bring him back on two minutes is nothing instead of the rolling around and then just standing up i also wonder how much this is going to impact uh cards 
referees tend to give yellow and red cards when they see like a, a perceived significant injury. Players go down, they're wailing in pain. They sell it really well. Yeah, that's a great point. That, we could eliminate some of the the meaningless cards there. Those are frustrating cards. That, well, it was so hard. There must have been a card in here mm-hmm. somewhere. And instead of the ref actually seeing something, he just feels obligated to throw a card. Mm-hmm. Well, if that guy has to think twice, do I, do I actually want to leave the field and have my team down a man for a couple of minutes here? No, I don't. He pops back up. The ref doesn't feel the need for that card. It, it improves the, the flow of yeah. the game. And that's what we all want is the game to have better flow. So let's run through these really quick. Uh, yeah, the off-field treatment rule, 15 seconds, two minutes minimum. Um, exceptions to that, potential head injuries, goalkeeper injuries, serious medical events, and fouls resulting in yellow or red cards. So basically it's all up to the ref's discretion. Uh, the next one is the time substitution rule. A player being subbed off must exit the field and at any point on the field, uh, but he only has 10 seconds to do so. So if not, the incoming player will be held for 60 seconds before entering the game at the next stoppage. Exceptions here to include uh, pretty much the same as the last one, head injuries, goalkeeper, goalkeeper yeah. serious medical events, yellow reds. So again, a, again, an easy fix to avoid time-wasting yep. and get the flow of the game. Just get the game moving again, especially in the late the, stages. It's analogous to the pitch clock. Yeah. yeah. I, I think a lot of these changes, though, you know, this isn't a knock on a lot of our fans because, you know, fans are good things, but... I think a lot of our fans are who are new to soccer are going to be confused by this this season. They're going to be like, what is going on? Because a lot of people don't listen to our podcast or look at the MLS Why website. Not? or Exactly. That's what I want to know. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, there'll be a, you'll see a lot of head scratching in the, in the stands these, the, this next season. So another new change we'll need to get used to is in-stadium VAR announcements. VAR decisions will be announced by the referee to fans in the stadium. Which, again, a super easy fix. Just have them say, there's no conclusive evidence. Have them say, we're checking for this. That's the big one. We could not find, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what what are they even looking at? Are they looking at, you know, checking for offside, Yep. you know, no clear evidence of offside. Great. And bam, then you've fixed a lot of problems. And again, on the fan side of things, looking at it. A lot of people probably watch NFL. They probably are used to this. The so. NFL's been doing it forever, and yeah. it's not a problem. Why Why didn't they do this? Baseball from... even now, too, right? Yeah. yeah. I went to my first NFL game this past season in Minnesota. After I'm sorry. The, no, I'm just kidding. After the, I mean, after the city uh, Minnesota United game, I went to a Vikings game. First time I'd been to an NFL game since the Rams left. And I was shocked at how well-produced their video replays are because mm-hmm. they immediately mm-hmm. pop something up on the big screen, and they say, uh, review this play is being reviewed and then they immediately go to a replay and they show what's being reviewed and so you you don't have to wonder you don't have to go to the internet you just you watch the board it. and it, you know exactly what's happening well, you're never left wondering in the stadium and that's how it should be yep easy fix yeah and finally i like this one too the stoppage time clock scoreboard video boards and or stadium clocks will run until the completion of each half including any additional time at the end of which either I mean, the first or second half so finally no more getting out your phones to click oh, your little stopwatch. Obviously, it will still be up to the ref's watch, um, but at least players, fans, and coaches won't be guessing about when. Pour one out for the stopwatch app. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only time I use mine. You're right. Yeah. Uh, but that's, again, such an easy fix. When you watch a game on TV, they let the clock run. The idea that, oh, in the stadium, no, you got to guess. Like, for what? Why? There's no purpose to stopping it at the 90 just let the clock run and then we all know that you still don't know when it's going to end yeah you know that it's not 
basketball, there's no buzzer beaters or high school, Missouri high school rules where (laughs) when they changed it a few years back to, to run the clock all the way down to zero and then stop it immediately, uh, which is nonsense there too. You know, just, just let it run like it does on TV. I'm just glad technology's evolved to where stadium clocks can go beyond 90 minutes now. I mean... (laughs) We've been looking for it. No, but when MLS started and they counted down instead of up. <laughs> oh yeah. Tremendous. yeah. Yeah. But I, I the one thing this could change behaviorally on the field and it'll be interesting to see, and it won't be a big thing, but it'll just be the, the concept that the players will be acutely aware of what the referee says there will be at least an additional three minutes when they see that clock get to 93. Like what is like, regardless of up or down or tied, like how are they going to respond? And because they'll have the exact data that, fans have that the refs have yeah. so you know coaches they they monitor that with their own stopwatches mm-hmm. and things but because then obviously if there's more if, stoppage time you can't they're not just going to add it to the right. clock above if they're a minute off in their guess yeah they're they're not going to be yeah. like oh blow the whistle or things like yeah. it, it'll so it'll be it'll, interesting to watch if yeah. anything that'll add excitement though i'm, yeah, a, oh, I'm yeah. in favor yeah. of that yeah, yeah i yes. agree yeah so um so a lot to look forward to this upcoming season of course this week, like Matt mentioned, the uh, schedule drops on Wednesday. That'll be good. Uh, today's Sunday. Tomorrow's Monday when a, this episode will go out. Hopefully, um, uh, some and then, fun away dates. I gotta, you know, yep. ho- hoping that you know the schedule works out right around some some vacation. Yes, and some, and Joe, uh, Joe and I are in particular looking at the schedule, looking hoping that uh, a Seattle game works out. So our families so, somewhere fun during the summer uh, months. Yeah. Things that I'm going to be watching for on the schedule release are the gap of time for League's Cup. When's that going to fall? It should be around the same time we expect, Mm -hmm. but that'll be something you'll notice a big month-long gap likely. And so when's that going to be? Uh, When is the season going to start? When's the season going to end? Which international breaks they're going to respect? And which is a whole other conversation we've had before and Mm -hmm. we'll end up having again, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And and how are these breaks going to be taken into consideration? with uh, no U.S. Open Cup dates being respected. Yeah. And, again, pay attention uh, to all the socials. Keep your eye out for, hopefully, some good news on the U.S. Open Cup. And um, and if it does play out like it does, or is planned to, let's uh, let's go flood the City 2 game when they play in the Open Cup. Show that it matters. Pack, that pack the stadium. St. Louis fans know that the Open Cup is, uh, you know, is something important. Mm-hmm. It's in our history. It's in our blood. That's right. Clap, 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 clap. Um, and with that, let's go ahead and wrap it up. If that's cool with you guys. Next time we talk to people, it's going to be the the new year. Yeah. It's going to be after. It's going to be twenty twenty four. Just counting down the days till the first meaningful game. Right around, right around the corner. Matt, thanks so much for coming on. Are you going to be doing the same schedule for 550 in the podcast as you did last season coming up? Should or be, yeah, yeah. We'll, Flyover will still have uh, our Flyover Fallout that comes out right after the matches. We'll still have the, the longer episodes we stream on Thursday nights, previewing, covering news, um, looking to keep the same content. And uh, it's been you know pretty well received. I needed this past uh, few weeks off, so yeah. we've, we've gotten a little irregular back to our biweekly thing that we used to do. And it's been nice. I'm looking forward to the holidays, take a little break for that, and just uh, unplugging a little more. I wish we could go into the holidays without this U.S. Open Cup nonsense right. because God, I, that has just uh, boiled yeah. my blood over mm-hmm. the past couple of days. Definitely. You and, you and me both. But, you know, writing into it, looking forward to the new season, looking forward to the schedule, and planning away days, 
looking forward to seeing the guys get back in January. Yeah. And uh, it'll, it'll be exciting. To, it'll be condensed. You know, we have a, less than a month or about a month of training camp before competitive matches. Yeah. Good. Well, hopefully we can have you on again sometime. And, of course, we're always open to another collaboration with, yes. uh, with you guys if you can find time for us. <laughs> So last time we did a uh, collab, though, the one time we lost a member of our pod. So I don't want to blame you guys. <laughs> That's right. I'll blame, we're, I'll blame we're City. City, City snagged him yeah, away. Yeah, City so snagged him away. hate to see that happen again. <laughs> um, so that was fun. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Um, that'll do it. Thanks, Joe. This will be it for us for uh, 2023, but we'll be back. And as we wrap up the end of the year, I sincerely want to say a special thank you to our listeners. We really do appreciate you. Like I said, we'll be back next month. January 2024, and we have a couple special guests lined up, so be on the lookout for that. Remember to follow us on all our socials, email us with any questions or comments, cityscreport at gmail.com. Catch up on our articles on our website, cityscreport.com. Remember to support our sponsor, Bluewood Brewing. We wish everyone a very happy holidays, and until next time, and as always, go City. Go City. Go City.